BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. While the literature of some kinds of immigrants is firmly baked into the American canon, the editors of a new anthology say that the modern undocumented experience remains untold. Undocumented people have a difficult path to telling their own stories because of the precarious position they have in this country, even if they've been here for decades. So Reina Grande and a co-editor pulled together contributions from dozens of undocumented people for Somewhere We Are Human, a multifaceted look at what it is to live without papers inside the U.S. border. No two stories, like no two people, are the same, but we'll talk about what connects them and how to think about these poems and essays. That's all coming up next. After this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. It's so good to be back with you all. We're joined this morning by Reina Grande, novelist, memoirist, and now anthology co-editor with this new book, Somewhere We Are Human. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. And throughout the hour, we'll be joined by other writers whose work is about the undocumented experience. And first up, we're super pleased to be joined by Rafael Agustin, who is a television writer, CEO of the Latino Film Institute, and author of the memoir, Illegally Yours, published last year. Welcome, Rafa. Thank you so much for having me. So, Reina, let's talk a little bit about this anthology first. I mean, immigrant literature is a part of the American canon and has been, but you wanted to specifically lay out in this anthology a bunch of different types of undocumented immigrant writing. What do you think undocumented writers bring to our understanding both of themselves and their communities as well as the United States? Yeah, well, I think what's important is that undocumented immigrants, when they write their own stories on their own terms, they get to control the narrative. You know, they get to also write these counter narratives and help people understand the complexities of immigration, the challenges, the frustrations, the trauma of being an undocumented immigrant. But also we center our humanity. We talk about our joys and our triumphs and our successes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. And, you know, for me, like it, it has been just so beautiful to see how we have been documenting ourselves, right? Through our novels, our memoirs, our diaries, and our poems. And the reader gets to hear directly from us 
we get to be the storytellers instead of being written about. We're the ones who are writing our own stories. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your your own personal story, just as a way of setting up what you ended up contributing to the anthology? Yeah, so my, my background is that I was born in Guerrero, Mexico, and my father came to the U.S. when I was two, and my mother came when I was four. So my siblings and I stayed behind in Mexico for many years until my father finally returned when I was almost 10, and he hired a smuggler that snuck us across the border through the Tijuana-San Diego border, and we came to live with him in Los Angeles, and we were undocumented for several years until the amnesty of 1986, which allowed mm. both my father and my mother to legalize their status. And I got my green card when I was 15. So after that, you know, doors opened up for me and I was able to go to college and become the first in my family to graduate from university. And I was also able to pursue this dream of being a writer. Yeah. Why don't you read a little piece of the essay that you contributed to the anthology for us? Yeah, so in this essay, I'm grappling about being a mother and an immigrant. My first act of love as a mother was to remove from my children's lives the labels I grew up with. Low-income, immigrant, English language learner, first-generation college student. My son and daughter will never face the daily struggles I encountered as I fought for my place in this society, for my right to remain and become a part of the fabric of this country. But neither my college degree, nor my writing career, nor my perfect English prepare me for the experience of raising two American-born, upper-middle-class children. I was born in the second poorest state in Mexico, on a dirt floor, in a shack of sticks and cardboard. My children were born in a private hospital in Los Angeles, California. I spent the early part of my childhood separated from my parents when they immigrated to the U.S. without me. My children live in a stable home with two loving parents who have university degrees and professional careers. The first time I ever traveled out of my hometown, it was to Tijuana to risk my life running across the U.S.-Mexico border. My children have traveled to places all over the U.S. and abroad. Unlike me, they are growing up with when you go to college, not if you go to college. They have college trust funds that my husband and I contribute to each month. When my daughter plays with her Barbies, her dolls were in college or in a book club. I don't know how to reconcile my poverty-stricken childhood and my children's childhood of abundance. Yeah. That was Rena Grande reading from her essay in the new anthology, Somewhere We Are Human, which is an anthology of undocumented writers, poets, and, and artists. I have to say, Rena, before we turn to Rafael, you know, I found fascinating is I've experienced you know, a version of this, not the same thing, but a version of this from the other side. And I do think your kids will also be trying to reconcile some of these same same things. And it is very difficult to kind of bridge some of the distances between the childhoods that, that you've had. Yes, I agree. Um, I think they, you know, they're always rolling their eyes whenever I talk about my childhood and whenever I I remind them that they need to be grateful for the way they have. And um, I, I feel that sometimes it is hard for them because 
they might feel that no matter you know what experiences they have they can never match my my traumas and my my struggles yeah yeah uh, Rafael Agustin, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your memoir and your your life story. The memoir is called "Illegally Yours." Um, maybe tell us just a, a little bit of your story so that we can get into the the book itself. Yeah, of course. I mean, first, let me say thank you for having me follow Reina Grande. <laughs> if, <laughs> if people have not read the distance between us, what are you doing with your lives? Um, for for me in particular, uh, I I was born in Ecuador, South America. I, I came when I was seven years old. Uh, but I had a different experience than most because, you know, my father was a pediatric surgeon who came to work at a car wash. And my mother was an anesthesiologist who came to the United States to work at a Kmart. So for me, it was one of like a privileged little South American kid who comes to live a very rough immigrant experience in the United States. Um, and my book, unlike a lot in this genre, because I guess at this point, we can argue that there is an undocumented uh, memoir and literary genre. Um, mine was one of privilege and I wanted to write a comedy about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read so many powerful memoirs and stories about the journeys that a lot of undocumented Americans take, but I wanted to to flip it on its head because my I discovered I was undocumented in high school. My parents kind of hid this truth from me. And I wanted to write a book that asked every reader, what would you do if you discovered you were on right? Oh, man. Yeah, there's there's a bit of like a, a sci-fi component to it, you know, in the way that you you lay it out. Um, can and, you... and, what's, and what's worse is that I was like, I, I was literally the all-American high school kid. I was like the class president, the prom king, the top 10% of my class, and then apply to get a driver's license, apply to go to college, and then discover that I'm undocumented. Well, let's hear you read a little bit from your memoir as well. Yeah, of course. This is at the very beginning. Um, when we first came to this country, my parents my parents kept a lot of secrets from me. <laughs> and when we first came, they had lied to me and they said that we were only going on vacation. And then six months in, I'm like, this is the longest vacation ever. So this is finally when I snap and tell my mom, like, okay, what's really going on? And I'm like seven turning eight years old at this point in my life. Um, this entire vacation was starting to feel like a debacle. That's when my mom leveled with me. We came here to start a new life. Your dad and I are going to school to learn English so that we can both become doctors here. And you're going to go to school here too. My mom had misled me. She had never lied to me before that moment. So this was a lot to take in. On the one hand, the way my mom spoke to me as an adult at eight years of age was very sobering. On the other hand, she had lied. And she taught me never to lie. Ultimately, this country made my mom lie to me, which meant America and I now had ourselves a problem. I decided to toughen up. No more nice little Ecuadorian boy. It was time for me to grow up and adapt. Charles Darwin developed his theory of evolution in Ecuador and the Galapagos Islands. So the least I could do was try to adapt to my new surroundings. I learned to use a microwave. I also learned to take out the trash. I needed to stop acting like a privileged little white South American kid. I stopped complaining that there were no chauffeurs to take us to the park. Walk to the park? No problem. I was no longer insulted by by my Aunt Teresa's suggestion. I even stopped resenting the garage guest room for its lack of amenities. Everything seemed to be going great until I attended my first day of public school. (laughs) 
That was Rafael Agustin, television writer, author, and CEO of the Latino Film Institute, uh, reading from his memoir, Illegally Yours, which was uh, published last year. You know, Reina, um, Rafa kind of indicated, you know, this sort of sense of there is this emerging genre of undocumented stories. Um, what do you think kind of brings those stories together, given that a lot of your anthology is really about highlighting the variety and diversity of those experiences? Yeah, well, first I want to say that one of the things I loved about Rafa's memoir was how funny it is, because I don't write funny. <laughs> and I, I've had people tell me that my books should be sold with a box of Kleenex, because I write very depressing. And it's just so wonderful, you know, for for Rafael and for other writers who turn to humor as a way to tell their stories. And it just, this little part that Rafa read reminded me about how he was complaining about walking to the park. <laughs> and uh, with my daughter, when I used to make her walk to school and she would complain, why wouldn't I drive her to school? And and she said, I'm tired. And I would say, when I was your age, <laughs> I ran across the U.S. border. If I could run across a border, you can walk a few blocks to school. She's like, dang, mom, did we have to take it there? Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, these stories, you know, but I think that's what's so special to me is that even though the undocumented experience is a, is, has so many commonalities, so many similarities, right? But everybody has their own unique voice. And that's what I think is very beautiful, that every time there's a new, um, you know, new, new poems, new, new memoirs, new novels about this experience, they always something, they bring something so unique to, to the stories. I feel that we cannot have enough undocumented stories out there. We're talking about the genre of undocumented literature with Reina Grande, co-editor of and contributor to the anthology Somewhere We Are Human, and Rafael Agustin, who, like me as a kid, loved Rage Against the Machine. We'll be back with more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the growth and and uh, variety of undocumented literature. We're joined by Rena Grande, who's the co-editor of and contributor to the anthology Somewhere We Are Human, which brings together the works of different undocumented writers, poets, and artists. Her most recent book is A Ballad of Love and Glory, 
You may also have read her excellent memoir, The Distance uh, Between Us. We're also joined by Rafael Agustin, who is a television writer, author, and CEO of the Latino Film Institute. He's got a memoir, Illegally Yours, which was published in 2022. We'd love to uh, hear from you. Do you have an experience to share about being an undocumented immigrant? You're out there listening, and this has inspired you to call in. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Email, questions, comments, forum at kqed.org, or Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're kqed.org. You know, Randall, maybe you can talk a little bit about the kind of the dangers of telling your story if you're in a precarious place as an undocumented person, like how did you guys reckon with that as you were working on this anthology? That was a, a difficult thing to do because, you know, we are asking contributors to share these stories and some of them are still undocumented. You know, there were some of us that that were formerly undocumented, but now we are e- either legal residents or or we are we are citizens. And we had to acknowledge our privilege in that, right? And being able to tell our stories without having those kinds of legal repercussions that some of our contributors can face by sharing their stories. And in fact, right before we went to print, we had to pull one of our essays because our contributor our contributor was being deported. And um, you know, in order for him to, to fight his case, we couldn't have the story out there because sometimes the government uses these stories against people. So so in order to protect our our contributor, we pulled the piece. So those are some risks that that, um, we had to think about and we asked our contributors to think about as well. I think one of the things, you know, that that the undocumented community has been trying to do is to take ownership of their stories and to not let their fear define who they are and limit their choices. And, and so, you know, trying to, to take control over the, the, the narrative, writing this story so that it doesn't have that kind of power over them. You know, there's that, that slogan about being undocumented and unafraid. And so constantly pushing themselves to take ownership of their stories. But again, I know that it comes with with dangers, with with risks, mm-hmm. and we definitely try to be aware of that. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I really appreciated about this anthology as well was that you actually also included people who left, you know, who just a completely different kind of arc, and you had people also who were uh, deported and in some cases were, you know, living separated from their families for, for many years. How did you decide you know, sort of what the right, universe you kind of had to draw a line somewhere i suppose on like what what inc- what would be included in this anthology and and what wouldn't what about some of those experiences of people who actually are, are no longer uh immigrants to the united states but are are back in their home countries or or doing something else yeah that was a challenge because we had so many different pieces you know we had over 150 contributions plus ones that we had requested and we only had at first we only had 25 spots and then we asked our publisher if we could let in a few more people and we ended up with 41 pieces and of course we wanted um first of all we wanted to have a diverse range of voices because 
most of the time, you know, um, Mexican immigrants get a lot of attention. And so we wanted to make sure that with our Latino contributors, there was a variety of people from different places like Argentina, Venezuela, Ecuador, El Salvador, the Dominican Republic, but then also outside of the Latino community, we wanted to make sure we were bringing in other undocumented voices. And we have contributors from like Vietnam and, and Korea, Bangladesh, Brazil, and, and many other places. So in that sense, we really wanted to show how the undocumented experience is is um, universal and and there's undocumented immigrants in this country from all over the world and of and then we had to think about what experiences are being captured what point of view is being captured in in the, in each piece and we do have a lot of pieces that talk about life in the united states and 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 the challenges of living here undocumented but we also wanted to make sure we were giving voice to those people that had had um, experienced deportation, or who who made the choice to return to their mm -hmm. countries, because that experience is also part of this, you know, un being undocumented, mm -hmm. and it comes with its own heartaches and traumas. And we wanted people to understand the complexity of this experience by bringing in as many different points of view as possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, Rafa, you've experienced this, you know, with your own parents who decided to go back to Ecuador after all these years. They they did, and I always like to think that they went in search of their own American dream, but a different part of America, right in South <laughs> America. Um, uh, unfortunately for them, they weren't able to accomplish what they set out for in the United States. Life was a little too difficult, and I, I want to point out that. LA County and this country benefited from their labor. They are they were doctors trained, developed, and educated in a different country that subsidized that um, development, right? Professional development. And then the United States benefited from it. Mm -hmm. But they weren't able to fulfill their dreams here. So I end my first chapter of the book with the hardest lesson that my parents learned. And that's that the American dream is not for you, but for your children. Mm -hmm. Man, no pressure. <laughs> No, no pressure whatsoever. I'm still going to therapy over it. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that pressure of succeeding, of being perfect, not just from my Catholic guilt, not just from being an only child, not just for being an immigrant boy, right? It's all of it trying to make way, and, and especially in an industry like the entertainment industry. When I told my parents I wanted to work in Hollywood, it was like, what? <laughs> I, I nearly broke their hearts, you know? It's like... All of our sacrifice for your for this pipe dream? Are you kidding me? For you to be sitting in Starbucks writing screenplays? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but luckily, that you know that dream led me to writing on Jane the Virgin. So yeah, I think I did all right. Yeah. Um, let's bring in another voice. One of these folks um, from outside of the Americas. We're also joined by Kaveh Bazari, who is an Iranian American poet and translator currently on a. Tulsa, uh, Tulsa Artist Fellow uh, in Oklahoma. His poems appeared in the anthology Somewhere We Are Human. Welcome. Thank you. I'm um, glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. Um, in setting up, to set up your poem that you're going to read for us, um, just want to give us a little bit of your background as well, sort of, you know, um, how you came to be uh, a writer here in the U.S. 
Uh, I came aim, uh, to America uh, from Iran to go to a high school, actually. And, and uh, this was a, uh, and right, right, uh, right after I came in, sort of uh, the Islamic revolution happened and uh, we changed everything for me and for uh, the relationship between Iran and America. Uh, and uh, so uh, that meant in that, at, uh, you know, the dollar prices went high uh, in Iran and that at, uh, you couldn't send money to America because uh, of the sanctions that uh, happened during the Iran hostages is is uh, and and you know that sanctions with Iran has been happening for uh, over 40 years now uh, and uh, and this meant also that as a foreign student, I couldn't pay for the school, I couldn't and, uh, work, work, work. And I, if I went back to Iran, and I would have been sent to front and because there was a war happening between Iran and Iraq. So that wasn't really a good option. So that's the way in which I ended up being having this uh, sort of- So in uh, a sense, you uh, were stranded by the Islamic revolution and the, the subsequent uh, war with Iraq. Uh, correct. Yeah. Which I believe that uh, probably wasn't the only. Yeah, I wasn't the only person who ended yes, up right. like that. Yeah, and no, I, I think you're right. And many of the people who came had to come through very difficult and complicated situations through many borders to get here. Yeah. Um, why don't you uh, read your poem? Okay. Uh, the title. Uh, the title of the poem is called "Immigrant Song." We track the migrant son that carts the day and ask, collect our questions, take them to the saver's home. A song not for the moon that leaves Tehran each dawn. Tomorrow she'll amend and come ashore, home. We found the gap and borders, targets everywhere. Why am I still complaining, bargaining for home? And now I live with cell phones, microwaves, laptops, yet still, it's dust and leaves I bring as mentors home. How rich, secure are dust and clouds that give themselves. So free they live without a need for fence or home. The subway ads bid 16 million eyes to watch. Is this how we're planning to insure our homes? Contrition fills my cup emptied for you not love or wine. It pours for I have neither you nor home. My torn fingers, there's hairy quills I dip inside my bed to scribe the dreams about the lesser's home. The room you furnish with the foreign nouns, garib, are lost if none remembers, dwells inside your home. Thank you. That was Taveh. Baziri, who, reading from his work in the anthology Somewhere We Are Human, a poem called Immigrant Song. What do you want us to take away from this poem? It has this, you know, the repeating home at the end of kind of each each stanza. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the form? Um, sure. Uh, the um, the poem um, is actually a ghazal, uh, which is a form of uh, poetry that uh, originated in Arabic and became um, uh, very popular in Iran, was embraced by the uh, Persian speakers. There's a, it's kind of like a sonnet at, at, uh, to uh, English speakers. There's a, and, you know, major poets of Iran and that uh, people may know, Hafez, Saadi, Rumi, wrote uh, 
uh, great ghazals. The subject usually is about love, longing, spiritual devotion, loss, uh, and and and, uh, and it also became popular or uh, in America. So there's an, uh, many American poets that at at write in the form. In, in the English form, often there is a. a, a a word at the end of the uh, 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 each couplet, which is called a radif, if the, that uh, repeats, it's in Persian would be more often the verb, but in English becomes the noun. And in the English form, then it, the poem becomes a meditation on that one word that repeats at the end. And and uh, and uh, and usually there is a, you refer to your name, a, 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 a pen name that you have have a. It's called the Tachalos. Mine is Garib, which means a stranger, alien, mm. and not at home. Um, and and you in that end, it's kind of like a signature, or it's kind of like a self-reflection that you have at the end. And and you can even talk, think about it as a Shakespearean sonnet that it closes with a couplet oh. at the end. Huh. That's beautiful. Thanks for uh, helping us helping us read this poem better. Really appreciate it. And thank you for uh, joining us, Kaveh. Baziri, Iranian-American poet and translator, currently a Tulsa Artist Fellow in Oklahoma, uh, and his poem appeared in the anthology, actually several poems, uh, Somewhere We Are Human. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. It was great to be with you, Irena and Eldada readers. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, let's take uh, a call. Let's go to uh, Rosemary in San Francisco. Welcome. Hi. Hi, Rosemary. Hi. Go ahead. You can tell your story. Oh, okay. Didn't know that's what you wanted. Um, I was born in Tijuana. And when I was, I don't know, one year old, one and a half, my mother crossed the border illegally. I think we just took a bus. We didn't cross the river. And she came into the U.S. She had uh, four American-born children. Um, so we settled. And when I was about five, somebody reported my mother as an illegal. Um, and so we, immigration came to our door and told my mother that she had to report, and so did I, because I was the only illegal child, to San Francisco. And I still remember the address. It's 650 Samson Street. Mm. That's how it's stuck in my mind at that age. As my mother said, you cannot speak because I didn't speak English. She said, sit in the chair, smile, and don't say a word, because if you speak, they're going to send us back to Tijuana. Mm. Of course, I didn't know what Tijuana was at that point, but I could sense it in my mother's voice that this was something very scary. As it turned out, because my mother had a sponsor, someone who said, she has a job. Um, she will never ask the government for money because we will be here to help her. We were able to get um, a green card. And I very quickly told my mother, I have to learn how to speak English because it put the fear in me mm. that not speaking English was something that was very threatening. Yeah. So I learned how to speak English very well and went on to graduate school. Oh, man. Rosemary, thank you for sharing that intense story, and you know, glad that, <laughs> glad it all worked out to the extent that that it has. Um, thank you so much for for sharing that with us. You know, I I wanted to ask you 
uh, Rafa, maybe to reflect on this. I mean, in your memoir, you talk about the different ways that you started to think about the word illegally and what that meant. Maybe you could just reflect on that a little bit with us. Um, yeah, actually, for, for my particular book, I wanted to take an honest journey of how I had to learn how not to use the word illegal itself. And it was a, a reckoning for me to realize that my own vocabulary was oppressing a segment of our population that only make our economy stronger, our workforce younger. And you can't deny we make our food taste better. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, so, so to me, I, I had to tackle it head on in my in my title of the book, Illegally Yours, which serves as a double meaning, right? It's it's kind of like a joke on sincerely yours, but also that if you stop to 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 consider things in the geopolitical landscape, if we are refugees, if we're quote unquote illegals, that's because maybe this country made us that way, which is why we are illegally yours. Mm. We uh, and, gotta... and, I, and just I mean, again, I wrote a comedy. <laughs> I wrote a comedy, but I do want to be realistic about what's going on in the world. And the the Pew Hispanic Research Center discovered that deportation for undocumented Americans happens most frequently on two occasions, one right before payday and two when undocumented workers try to unionize. So to me. This conversation uh, is more than just a moral issue. It really is a labor issue. Mm -hmm. And the, the minute I started seeing immigration as a labor issue, that's when I realized I had to change my vocabulary because it wasn't fair to start criminalizing a, you know, this segment of our population that actually contribute to our country greatly. And we are American in every sense of the word except one. Yeah. We're talking about... Yeah. The genre. Oh, sorry, Rena, we got to get to a, a break. We're talking about the blooming genre of undocumented literature with Rafa Agustin. And of course, Rena Grande, co editor and contributor to the anthology Somewhere We Are Human. We'll be right back with more after a break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. 
We're talking about the genre of undocumented literature with Reina Grande, co-editor and contributor to the anthology Somewhere We Are Human, which brings together the work of undocumented writers, poets, and artists. Her most recent book is A Ballad of Love and Glory, also the author of the memoirs The Distance Between Us and A Dream Called Home, and the novels Across a Hundred Mountains and Dancing with Butterflies. We've also been joined by Rafael Agustin television writer, author, and CEO of the Latino Film Institute. His memoir, Illegally Yours, was published in 2022. And earlier we were joined by Kaveh Baziri, an Iranian-American poet and translator who's in the anthology. Um, Reina, before we were going to the break, it sounded like you wanted to say something, so I want to make sure you have a chance. No, I just wanted to follow up on what Rafa had said about language and and. um learning how to use a different kind of vocabulary because we have been for so long, you know, using very harmful vocabulary when we talk about immigrants and undocumented immigrants. And definitely that the word illegal, I'm just so glad that it's starting to get erased from the way whenever we talk about immigrants because language can inflict such a deep psychological violence on us. And that is part of, you know, one of the things that we try to do in Somewhere We Are Human is to try to fight against that and to try for us to come up with our own vocabulary on how we want to speak about ourselves and how we want others to talk about us. Yeah. Are there other things aside from just using undocumented versus illegal or other? What's the rest of that vocabulary you think that might be useful for people? I would just rather them use the word human beings, right? (laughs) We are human beings and we're trying to center our humanity and reclaim our humanity and um, just pushing back against the language that robs us of our human dignity. But I have seen um, in other works, for example, the word unauthorized has been used. Mm You know, I think there are different words that we can use when we talk about immigrants. And that's a conversation that we need to keep having. Um, One of our listeners writes in, um, vibing with with Rafa's story, said, somewhat similar to Rafael, I learned I was undocumented just before applying to college when one day I received my green card in the mail I went on to be accepted all the schools I applied to, including Harvard, Yale, Brown, and Stanford. If my green card had been processed even a few months later, I wouldn't have been applying to college with my peers. On the one hand, I'm glad my mom and godparents sheltered me from knowledge of the stressful naturalization bureaucratic process. On the other hand, it took me many years to process and arrive at a coherent narrative about my family's journey from Jamaica to the States. You know, at the at the top of the show, Rafa, one of the things that I was thinking about is you, you said, you know, along the way, my parents kept a lot of secrets from me, right? Um, do you feel like as as time has gone on and you've been able to, you know, peel back the layers of that family journey, that you have been able to come to a cohesive understanding of, of what they did for you slash to you, what the country did for you slash to you? Um, well, first of all, your, your caller, I, I, I haven't felt so seen in my life than that statement. And it, it, and when I speak to a lot of colleges around the United States, everyone says that our stories are so similar. And, and that's the thing and the reason why we started the conversation with what Reina said, that we have to take back the narrative, that we have to write ourselves into existence because our stories are more common than you think. 
Uh, and when I think about like my what my parents and and how they decided to go about it with you know them lying to me about our status, um, at the end of the day, I have to say I'm grateful. I grew up a very stupid, oblivious American kid. Uh, it was very hard for me to reconcile after the fact. Uh, in the book, I said it was like an end of the world comet hitting my frosted tipped head. Um, but you love sublime. Was... You are a sublime loving. <laughs> L.A. kid. That's Listen, I, that's what's I have, so beautiful about your book. I have a chapter called Becoming Zach Morris because I thought <laughs> I lived in an episode of Saved by the Bell most of my life. But um, ultimately, what I was going to say is immediately discovering the truth about my status. Uh, I got very depressed. My all-American life came crashing down on me. And it was the pep talk that my mom gave me that changed my life forever. She said that listen, your dad and I didn't want you to grow up feeling different because dreams should not have borders. Mm-hmm. And that really changed my outlook and my trajectory in this country from there on out. Yeah. Um, Rafael, I know you have some things to do, so we're going to let you go. But I just want to give you one more tweet. Diego tweets, I enjoy Rafael Agustin's Illegally Yours. It's a very honest account of life in SoCal and it- it definitely is. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us this morning. Uh, Diego, I love you. Thank you for that shout out. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Alexis. This is an amazing conversation. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, we want to bring in uh, one more voice. We've got another poet for you. Alini Mello is a poet and author of the poetry collection More Salt Than Diamond. Her essay, Fit, appears in the anthology Somewhere We Are Human. Welcome, Alini. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Um, I love this essay. I thought this was a, a, a brilliant take on this genre of undocumented um, literature. Can you tell us, just tell us a little bit about your story and then we'll have you do a little reading. Yeah, so um, I'm originally from Brazil, moved to the U.S. when I was seven years old and always knew that I was undocumented, but um, kind of just stuffed it down mm. as far as it would go mm-hmm. um, until until Trump's uh, campaign. And then I, I couldn't really ignore it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what made me start writing. And it's what made me really start to get into kind of the reality that I was living in. Yeah. Uh, what other work do you see as kind of connected to your own, both kind of within these diaspora and immigrant literatures and maybe even outside of it? I think I read a few other authors in your work. Oh, yeah. Um, I think for sure all of, you know, there's so um, such amazing people right now writing who are still undocumented or formerly undocumented, like Esther Lynn, Marcelin Hernandez Castillo, Javier Zamora, um, Janine Joseph. So there are a lot of us. And I also see my my work in communication with other marginalized writers overall in the U.S., not just immigrants. I think there is a sort of um, resistance and maybe longing or dreaming that comes with being marginalized in the U.S. and being a writer, being conscious. So I think that that's maybe where I would see my... um, Yeah, where your work fits in. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, Why don't you read from the opening of your essay titled Fit? Okay. Fit. I am taking up space that belongs to an American citizen. I don't remember the first time I heard this, but it has become a burden I carry. In college, 
I am taking a spot that could have been a citizen's. At my job, taking up a position that should be filled by a citizen. But it is my weight that offends, that makes it so much worse. If I'm going to be in the US undocumented, shouldn't I at least be smaller? I should take up as little space as possible. Maybe if the American citizen and I are each thin enough, we can both fit. That was Alini Mello reading from her essay, Fit, which is in this anthology that we have been really enjoying and, and hearing from during this hour. Somewhere uh, we are human. I mean, this this essay kind of welds together two th- two kind of genres of essay that are very different. I mean, this one is coming from this undocumented literature genre and another that's kind of coming from this you know, emerging sense of different types of bodily consciousness and the relationship of those things to uh, race in America. Can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, what did you learn as you wrote this essay about your own body in relationship to this, you know, cross-border experience you're having? Yeah, I think the overlap is like so it's it's so there, you know, and I didn't see it for a long time, but it was that phrase of like I am taking up too much space that to me was in both camps. So being in a bigger body, I'm taking up too much space on this bench, in this plane, you know, like just mm-hmm. thinking about physical space and then as an undocumented person, I wanted to hide as much as possible and didn't want to take up any space. So when I noticed the overlap between those two, it all kind of came together. Um, And I think it was helpful to me because I feel like because of the support that I've gotten from people who are on the same boat as me or who are just really supportive, I had already come to a place where I was more kind of sticking it to the man when it comes to being undocumented. Like (laughs) I was feeling less, this feeling of let me take up less space. But with my eating disorder, I was still feeling very much self-conscious about the space I was taking up. Mm. And when I was able to kind of be like, wait a minute, maybe I can also, you know, like say, forget about borders on both ends. Like Mm. maybe this sort of like, you know, there should be no borders can also mean there should be no borders for my body. Mm. Um, And this like taking up space and spreading over spaces. So I was able to kind of translate um, between the two. Yeah. Yeah. That beautiful last line, maybe if the American citizen and I are each thin enough, we can both fit. I mean, crushing. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Alini Mello, poet and author of the poetry collection, More Salt Than Diamond, um, you can check out her essay, Fit, which appears in the anthology Somewhere We Are Human. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you so much. Um, Raina, I'm going to take us to the phones uh, one more time, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, undocumented literature. literature. Uh, Lisa in San Francisco, welcome. Thank you so much. I, I, I Thank you for the opportunity to speak. Um, my mother was an immigrant, um, and I'm a member of a labor union. I was very touched upon the writer's uh, reference to the issue of of the uh, documented as a labor issue. Uh, in fact, uh, people don't realize this, but um, there is presently right now a hunger strike going on among the detainees in the ICE processing center uh, of um, the uh, Mesa Verde and the Golden State Attics. They're launching this hunger strike because um, they're forced to work for $1 a day 
And as a labor member of the labor union, I find that to be uh, basically slave labor um, and one dollar a day. And also the issue of sanctuary cities coming up um, tomorrow at 12 noon at City Hall in San Francisco. Uh, they're taking up the issue about whether or not San Francisco should continue to be a sanctuary city. Mm. Uh, sanctuary is very important uh, for uh, our undocumented brothers and sisters who are workers and who not only contribute to the economy, but also have kept um, uh, have during the major issues of COVID, they ex- have been highly exposed by going out and, and continuing to do the work that is needed um, in order to uh, keep the economy alive. And it's very important that we recognize this and stop this, uh, this criminalization of the undocumented. Yeah. Hey, Lisa, thank you so much for picking up on, on that thread of our conversation here and filling us in on what's happening. If people want to check things out, um, you can search uh, Mesa Verde this strike, and you'll you'll get some of the news um, hits on that. Thank you so much, Lisa, for for that. You know, Raina, how did you balance between you know these economic realities like the ones that Lisa was just uh, talking about with the psychological realities of people kind of living within these systems? How did you try and balance that within the context of you know both your own work as well as this anthology? Yeah, and I, I just want to say I'm really grateful for the caller because um, she's, you know, bringing, bringing attention to these issues and especially the criminalization of the undocumented workers. And for me, like, it's just so disappointing to see that we're kind of back to, to the same thing in terms of not appreciating, not respecting our, our undocumented workers, our immigrant workers, and and really acknowledging everything that they do for us. And that was something that was starting to change a little bit during the pandemic, you know, when when we were talking about essential workers and recognizing, right, that the immigrant community, everything that that they bring and that they give to to the society and how they they um there's they make so many sacrifices and especially during the pandemic like like putting themselves at risk and we were beginning to recognize that and to appreciate that and acknowledge that and I, I would like for us to continue to see that happening um and and I'm I'm very grateful for all these things that are going on and I hope that people can participate tomorrow in this discussion about sanctuary cities right because that is something that has been in in jeopardy and we need to continue pushing for more sanctuary cities but i mean one of the dreams i have is is for us to think of the united states as a sanctuary place not not just um looking at individual cities but the entire country but that that is a dream of mine yeah. so then uh i mean you're obviously a pioneer in this genre of work and, and telling you know stories of undocumented and formerly undocumented people what who is inspiring you now and who do you think is sort of you know running with the ball obviously you're still writing you yourself are, are <laughs> continuing to push the genre along but who else do you see is kind of be- beginning to show new facets to this genre well i've been excited about seeing that there is a growing list of undocumented literature I mean, even before I started publishing my own work, like there were a few um, books that had come out before that, like Diary Diary of an Undocumented Immigrant by Ramon Perez. There were also some um, some um, collections of like testimonies, like The Border Patrol Ate My Dust. Mm. 
And of course, uh, one of my my friends, um, Sonia Nazario, wrote a, a very powerful book, Enrique's Journey, where she was trying to shed light on the experiences of these unaccompanied minors traveling on the train. Mm-hmm. And Luis Alberto Rea, you know, had published his very powerful book, The Devil's Highway um, into the Beautiful North. So after uh, when I contributed to to this growing body of undocumented literature by writing my own memoirs, The Distance Between Us and A Dream Called Home. And then of course, in this past decade, we have seen so many other wonderful books coming out like Dear America by Jose Antonio Vargas, Diary of a Reluctant Dreamer by Alberto Ledesma, Julissa Arce wrote her memoir, My Underground American Dream. Um, Carla Cornejo Vicencio came out with The Undocumented Americans. And then most recently, I mean, just a, a few months ago last year, Javier Zamora published his memoir, yeah. Solito, which landed in the New York Times and it has been getting so many accolades and I am just so so proud of that and very hopeful too because the way the publishing industry works is that you know it all comes down to book sales it all comes down to commercial success and having Solito have this kind of success means that it's going to open the door for more undocumented yeah. stories to to be published. When people want to check out more about Solito, Javier Zamora was one of my favorite interviews of last year. You can you can look that up, or you can just go buy the book. Honestly, the book is really well worth your time. It's so good. We have been talking about the genre of undocumented literature. We've been joined for the whole hour by Rena Grande, who's a co-editor of and contributor. To the anthology, Somewhere We Are Human, as well as an author of many other books. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much. We've got some Los Tigres del Norte, and earlier we were joined by Alini Mello, who is a poet and author of the poetry collection More Salt Than Diamond. We were also joined by Kaveh Baziri, an Iranian-American poet, and Rafael Agustina, television writer and author of the book Illegally Yours, published in 2022. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with guest host Marisa Lagos. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.